3: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash
0: loss. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're
3: seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you.
0: Oh my goodness. I'm so excited for today's guest. I think he is just such an important voice in healing um, wounded masculine energy, which is something that you and I have been talking about so much lately. He's such a, a beautiful, soulful person. And I'm just really excited to share him with our listeners. We just need more
3: and more and more people like him. Like we just need to clone as many <laughs> Corey Emanuel's as we can. Corey, uh, we're going to clone you. Yeah, yes. That's the next, that's the next goal. Uh, you know, this idea we speak a little bit about this in the interview, but this idea of representation, right? Like he's such an important piece. And and I and I this is why I want to clone him. It's like we're having these conversations about masculinity, um, and you know, the wounded masculine and the wounded feminine and the patriarchy and all these conversations. It's like we just need more people like him who can speak to it as eloquently as he does,
2: mm.
3: with such an inclusive nature, right? An inclusive tone. Um, there's just Zero shame, mm. right? Uh, everyone has a place. Everyone has a voice, and all those voices are represented, and they matter. Um, it's just he, he's doing really important work, and I'm I'm grateful that we're we're bringing him to you all
0: to listen yeah, it's interesting that you would speak to like just the embracing energy that you feel around him. Yeah. I don't know if you felt this as much as I did, but there is something like a deep exhale that you feel in his presence. Yeah. He has a really, really calming, soothing, calming. yep, yeah, it's it's beautiful. and and you're right. I think that the way that he speaks to dynamics that are happening on a cultural level really um is eye-opening. and i I just think he's such an important voice right now.
3: Yeah. hope you enjoy. We're very excited today. Our guest is Dr. Corey Emanuel. And Corey Emanuel is a Los Angeles-based writer, producer, author, mentor, and thought influencer with a master's in communication and a PhD in media psychology, which we're totally going to dive into. He's the founder of Corey Emanuel Omnimedia, which is an LA-based full-service production company focused on publishing, consulting, and broadcasting media platforms, as well as the founder of the social media movement, Men Talking Shift. Dr. Corey is passionately dedicated to using the vehicle of entertainment and media to tell stories that inform, inspire, educate, and promote self-actualization, which is like Danae, my favorite thing ever. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I need to take you on the road with me, V. That was
0: beautiful <laughs> <laughs> Aww, I love it. I'm, um, I'm a good hype girl. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Vanessa and I are geeking out a little bit to meet you. We've been following men talking shift for a while. I think um, one of our mutual friends, Brandon Alexander, that is sort of how we found you, I think on social Mm -hmm. media, um, you know, just speaks so highly of you. So thank you for coming. And um, Corey, will you just tell us a little bit about your background story, like where you grew up and your journey to get to the work that you do a little bit?
1: Sure. So it kind of sounds like the, the beginning of a of rap verse, but I am a black boy from Belton, South Carolina. All those bees thrown in there, um, <laughs> population of like four thousand people, so super small town. Uh, went to a predominantly white um, undergrad. So the very the first twenty five years of my life were all spent in South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, raised by a single mother. And I was just ready to spread my wings. I felt like I was limited in a lot of ways. I always had really big dreams. Um, You know, I had kind of won journalism contests growing up and had interned at like local news stations. And I was like, I feel like I've gotten everything I could get from this sort of South Carolina lived experience. And so um, after graduating, I thought for a while that I was just going to be like your typical sales guy, salesman. um, And ended up getting an opportunity in educational publishing, which completely transformed my outlook and really Mm -hmm. sort of led me to this path of media psychology. Mm. Um, At the time when I was getting in educational publishing, things were changing. Like We were going from those traditional print um, experiences, textbook experiences that we all had in school, and it, everything was going digital. And I was like, okay, there's an opportunity here. But as I would go and work in the schools and work with teachers, I was like, this is so much bigger than, oh, I'm going to my computer to do an assignment. Like, mm-hmm. people's lives are being changed by this experience of working with technology. Like, teachers aren't necessarily needed in the same way that they've always been needed and how does that affect them emotionally and then kids feeling like okay I kind of came into the world on a tablet Mm -hmm. um and and so now how do I communicate fully expressively you know articulating myself beyond just text messaging like I still need Mm -hmm. the the sort of you know grassroots uh, you know, method of learning communication. So there were just so many things happening. And I felt like there was an opportunity for me to guide and mm. sort of influence, you know, technology and media. Mm-hmm. And so that coupled with a love for television, film, you know, I was like, I need, I need to pursue not only just psychology and understanding human behavior, but specifically media, the media landscape.
0: I love that so much. I love um, that you talk about it in terms of like working with and understanding how youth are experiencing the world. Um, Mm -hmm. I really love Gary Vaynerchuk. And I feel like he talks a lot about how, you know, adults villainize so much of the way that um, young people communicate and like they're like constantly being on social media and their tablets and whatever. And he's like, you know, if this were a different time period you guys would be villainizing Elvis this is like what it is right now this is like the way that they interact and so I feel Mm -hmm. like um like can we stop villainizing it and just like really attempt to understand feels really fascinating to me absolutely well and
3: also partially they communicate that way because of the world we've created Mm. by the way Like we're the ones that made the world this way where like the only way that they have an ability to connect outside of school is through a tablet. Like kids don't play on the street anymore. Why is that? Because we're so crazy about like the kidnapping and the, this and the, that and the helicopter parenting that like, we've changed the landscape for them.
1: Yeah, right? And I was just literally looking at a TikTok where the dad turned the Wi-Fi off
3: mm-hmm.
1: he has like four kids and they all pop out of their room. Like dad, <laughs> is something wrong? Like what happened to the internet? And he did it purposefully because was wow. like I want human interaction with the people that I live with. You know, your wow. uh, point, Vanessa. Yeah, we've made it. We've been able.
0: That's totally. pretty profound, actually. Yeah. Wow. And so, what do you? What are your thoughts, Corey, on this? Um, on this thing of like, kids don't go outside and play anymore. Yeah. Like, how do you think this is impacting this next generation? Oh, I, think,
1: I think, like, with everything, balanced, Right. You know, like we we do live in a technology driven world. So I think it's sort of delusional of us to think like we just should just take all the tablets away and return back to this grand old time that we used to have. I think that's unrealistic. But I do think it is our responsibility as parents and guardians to, you know, incite balance Mm -hmm. and, and create an environment where, you know, perfect example, during dinner time. We're gonna put our phones away. Like you can spend 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes telling us about your day, um, us sort of connecting on an on a you know emotional level where you're away from your phone. But I think we to your point, Vanessa, like we have to enable that as a norm too, right? Mm. I, I think that there just has to be better balance with that.
3: Well, and enabling that too, you know, what's interesting when you say that, I'm thinking about how I, I was watching. I can't remember what mom psychologist it was the other day, but they were talking about screen time and they were saying, you know, do you struggle with your kids in screen time and all this stuff? And one of the things she kind of retorted with was, well, how are you with your screen time? Mm. Because you can tell them until you're blue in the face about screen time, but if they see you on your phone 24 seven, then that's what they're going to think is normal. And so then why are you telling me that it's different for me, but not different for you? my
1: research um, has really been in the role model influence area Mm -hmm. Um, and parents and guardians, we are comprehensive role models, right? So they're, they're looking at what we do, what we say, like our entire lifestyle is influencing them. And so that technology piece is critical Right. explain them how to, you know, particularly as we think about our mental health, right. You know, I think the pandemic was a great, time for the family to observe one another because we were stuck with each other right um so i think that there we've we've now got to come out of we had to be on our computers right that's how we learn that's how we made a living but now how do we now transition into a lifestyle of more balance where outside is opening up now so what does that look like as a family to not always be on our devices
3: I'm wondering too, with this idea of media psychology, because it's such a fascinating area to me, um, what do you feel like your, I don't know if population is the right word, but with this background, right, with this, the research you've done, the understanding that you have, who do you feel like you're speaking to the most? Or like, what is, I guess, because it's a fascinating area, but then how do you take that fascinating thing that you research and get into and, you know, nerd out on and then translate it into like, putting it out there in the world.
1: Absolutely. best way to sort of describe that is what you see from me on social media. Mm. So with media psychology, it is part of every field of psychology. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like the favorite cousin, if you will. <laughs> so, you know, I tell people that me personally, I had to kind of choose a focus, which for me is very much mental health, masculinity, and then also youth development because those are just arenas that I was already in that I I continue to be in and I'm passionate about. Um, But there is no sort of one size, like this is my audience. I do always make it clear, I am not a licensed therapist. I I do not have a clinical background. But what I try to do is I try to provide insights, information that will lead, if you need therapy, this is kind of like, oh, crap. I didn't know that this was an area or an issue. Uh, case mm. in point, um, you know, me, my friends, we're all dating. Some of us are even married. So obviously you're, you're going to be in conflict with other people that you're, that you're dating and that you're living with and things like that. So um, when I use the Malcolm and Marie movie, for example, mm. I use that pop culture example to talk about contempt in a relationship. Am I a relationship expert? No. But I also know what conflict looks like. And I know Mm -hmm. that there's some underlying things that were happening both with Malcolm and Marie, some of which maybe I've dealt with, maybe I haven't. But if I can just lead you to get the help, then I've done my part in sort of this cycle.
3: It's like helping them with the insight part of it, right? And then it's like, and if you want to go deeper, then there's, there's your path to go deeper over there. Yeah.
1: There so yes, I always take some type of example that we're seeing in the media. Again, going back to the original point of us always binge watching something. We're always on TikTok. What themes are emerging? You know, as yeah. psychologists, we look for patterns and behavior. So what am I seeing? What can I sort of highlight, shed light on? I think the Will Smith example was a great one for a lot of men in particular. Mm-hmm. I'm in the worst shape of my life. Yeah, I'm a multimillionaire and people all over the world know me. But you know, I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. Who could not relate to that on right. some level? So am I gonna be your trainer that's gonna get you back in shape? No, but I can help you sort of normalize that, yeah, we've all had a we're coming out of a very tough year. Mm-hmm. Mental health is impacting how you feel about yourself, all of these things. So yeah, it's just guiding people guiding people to to solutions and, and practices to make them feel better and, and mm-hmm. lead to better lifestyle decisions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so grateful for the space you're holding because I feel like, you know, there's so many um, conversations I'm having with clients around just this wounded masculine energy. And I feel like there's so many things that it impacts, um, not only like the men in our lives, but as women, I think a lot of times there are things that we are completely oblivious to Mm -hmm. that are the masculine struggle. Like I was not aware of like a lot of the body image struggles that men, um, I think Justin Baldoni was the first Mm -hmm. one to like, really, for me, like be so open about like what it is for him in a way that I'd never heard a man speak to. And I sit with men as a therapist all day and they just, they don't talk to me about it, you know? Yeah.
1: There's um, another great example I came across yesterday. I shared it with several people. Um, it was intended to be sort of a funny thread on IG, but it was asking men to sort of admit what their female traits were mm. that they may not kind of say out Such
3: loud a loaded there. question, right? Like-
1: That's a loaded question.
3: I'm like eyebrow be. raised to that one. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I think so many people were, but the, mm. the, the thing that I was seeing was that like, this is beautiful because I'll give you a great example. I'll use myself. So one of the men admitted, you know, that when I'm at home, I sit down to pee. I've been doing that since I was a teenager. And I remember feeling like, oh, shoot, if like other men or women knew I did this, what would they think of me? But then Mm. overhearing my uncle tell my grandmother, his mother, that he did that too. And her saying to him, oh, honey, like, that's fine. Like, you're at home, get comfortable. Like, as as taboo of a thing that is, you know, and, and just sort of the stereotype, stigma, things that come along with that, I love when men open up about yes. stuff like that because mm-hmm. there's so many, particularly adolescents that are coming up trying to figure out their identity to just know like, it's okay for a man. In fact, if you live with women, they might prefer because then you're not splashing pee everywhere. True. <laughs> um, but you know, like those are the types of things that I try to highlight and say, okay, men are having a conversation about this. You know, how does this then sort of affect the greater population and so many men, uh, women in the comments were like these are so hilarious keep them coming we want to hear more about like how men kind of act behind closed doors you know
0: yeah I I was cringing a little bit as you gave that example Corey and here's why because I think and you're bringing a really important um, point forward which is that so often I think what huh um is a deterrent to men doing some of this healing work is often the way that they are experienced by the women who are also in their wounded feminine, right? Like I remember. I hope my ex won't be upset that I'm outing this but like seeing him sitting down peeing and being like what are you doing why are you sitting down deeply shaming him and as you were speaking to it like I just felt such a like in my gut of like I I shamed him for that right Mm -hmm. and I think there's so many ways we do those things
1: absolutely and I think for me like anytime I'm in the bathroom it almost becomes a moment of retreat like just okay, I didn't come in here with my phone. I'm in here to shower or do an Epsom salt soak. Like, I just want to retreat from the world. So yeah, that might mean sitting
3: down. Relax. I mean, it it makes so much sense, and yes. Also, I'm (laughs) laughing because I'm like, in my head, I'm going, cares like well absolutely but that's what's so sad about it right because in my, i'm like who gives a shit if you stand or if you sit but we've even like the patriarchy has even infiltrated that standing is a masculine way to pee it's like oh my god
0: like that can men relax ever anywhere know, <laughs> can you right. take a breath anywhere jesus
3: without being like weak or too much of a feminine you know species oh god
0: yeah oh that's so uh you better teach teach your little boy that it's okay to sit down (laughs) I mean he's so proud of himself for being able to stand that but yes absolutely this is (laughs) this is a a big moment of like yeah yeah, that's really I mean because I feel like so often we as women want we want vulnerability and we want you to like let me let me into your world but then how do we hold space for that when men actually do offer it right
1: and again, going back to, you know, just this whole media psychology, what are, what are the, what's being perpetuated in the, right. about right. how men can show up, should show up? Because all of that, I feel like is what we're really trying to dismantle right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. That,
0: yeah, you know,
1: you, there was some point in your identity development in our, in, as we sort of navigate the social hierarchy, that we adapted certain behaviors that are really psychologically disruptive harmful to our, our our well-being and so us having conversations like this the conversations i'm having having you know through men talking shift are so important to just normalize things like sitting down to be mm-hmm. as, as silly as it sounds yeah want to have a conversation about it
3: Wow. And I feel like I've heard, I can't remember today if it was you that was giving me an example of was that you that was saying something about um, either a friend or a client where the the woman in, a, in this heterosexual relationship, the woman was talking about really desiring and wanting, like you were saying, vulnerability from a partner, all of these things from a partner. The partner had been doing his own work and really trying to go there and showing himself more and being more vulnerable. And then she found herself almost like in disgust of it. Right. And then being like, oh, my God, this is what I wanted. And now I and I shouldn't want to tell him. Right. But then she felt like almost as oh, now I'm not attracted to you because you're showing this more feminine side. It's like we're all affected by this.
1: I think one of the best examples I've seen of that, even through some of my own close friendships, is like, say the man loses his job or gets yeah. laid off and you're used to him being gone all the time. He's kind of on the schedule. But then now maybe he's home more than you. So you're, you're now having to sort of grapple with, like, how's his mental health, his mm-hmm. self-esteem and thing being affected by that? But then, like, energy vibrations are a thing, too. So if you're kind of feeling that disgust for him, then there's sort of this domino effect that happens, right? It may affect your sex life together. The kids are observing, like, mom and dad or, you know, mom and mom, dad and dad. Like, yeah. they're disconnected. All of okay. these things sort of stem from just this one thing, this ideology, you know, about how we should show up and gender performance and all of these things Hmm. are being impacted.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it just speaks to how much these patriarchal wounds impact all of us so deeply, right? And it's not just um, us as women are sort of oppressed, certainly men are deeply oppressed as we're speaking to, by mm-hmm. this patriarchal, but then like, it's it's so internalized, right? Like even as like, we think this is what we want, the moment a man attempts to meet us in presence and in um, his feminine energy. And Vanessa and I talk a lot about like how we are all both masculine and feminine. Those energetics are alive in all of us. And when a man tries to like step into that healthy feminine energy, we, we're so wounded that we don't know what to do with that.
1: I know there was another, part of that thread where the one of the guys was just saying that he sometimes will scooch backwards in the bed so that she can be the big spoon. So that was sort of his admission is that mm-hmm. I don't always I need our want oh to be the big spoon, That's but not every woman can probably really yeah. embrace that. They feel yeah. kind of oh, no, I want you holding me. Yeah. So it's just, we have to dismantle all of that. We have mm. to. it
0: be yeah. emotional. <laughs> Yeah. Aw, <laughs> yeah. it's beautiful. And I think it speaks to a little bit of what Vanessa and I were talking about before we got on with you, which is that like, there are core energetics, although we both have both masculine mm-hmm. and feminine, um, all of us have like, what is our core energetic? Like Vanessa's core energetic might be a little bit more masculine. And I am like that more core feminine where, and that is why we're like the yin to each other's yang. But like, I need to like be able to be present enough with my partner to know like, What actually is the truth of, like, what you feel at your core? Like, do you want to be that more feminine, energetic of a man? And that we as a society need to, like, understand these dynamics more. Like, nobody, we've only had, like, one version of, like, what people are allowed to be. And it is this, like, wounded masculine is what we revere as a culture. And that's it. And that's just...
3: Well, and also too, you know, as we're doing this work as a society, right? Like women, I think what's happened is that, and you'll see this in the conversation around feminism, right? It's like women have done this thing where we want to be more like men. Like we think equality means being more like men, right? And so there's been so much of this embracing of the wounded masculine within the women, right? To genderize it. Um also not healthy, right? So now we have this generation of women that actually, and I would say we are kind of the generation, I would say it was probably like my mom's generation that started it, that first wave of feminism, right? That now are struggling with, how do I allow myself to be seen in my feminine? Mm-hmm. Because now even in the women, we don't wanna be feminine because it's considered quote unquote, you know, unsavory or whatever word you wanna use. And so in this dynamic in this partnership, this loving partnership, it's like, am I safe enough to be in my feminine do I feel okay being in my feminine I mean that's the personal work I've had to do on my journey right is that I don't it feels icky to me mm. because of how I was raised right so yeah
1: and I think it it also creates another you know layer of issues in same gender loving relationships totally. too, right because now you've got sort of that double you know too feminine, you know, too masculine. And there's mm-hmm. no guidebook. There's no manual right. on how to navigate those borders. So you're just figuring it out, figuring it out as you go. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it feels like it's, it's about like, how can we be present with like, it's so much about presence, right? Like how can we be present with one another around like what feels good and take the shame out of it? You know, I think with what you're speaking to Vanessa, like, Jung spoke of that as like this, um, as we attempt to heal this patriarchal thing, what will happen is that there will be this animus, which is like the masculine in, in the female um, possession. So this animus mm-hmm. possession is like the pendulum swinging so far in the opposite direction that it's unhealthy. And I think, you know, to, to your point, Corey, like whatever is like what we identify as our core, and that is like in same sex relationships, like across the board, I think that there is going to be something that feels like my most authentic way of showing up in connection. Can we allow for it to be okay? Can we allow Mm. for this to be my truth? You know? Yeah.
3: Okay. I want to talk a little bit, (laughs) don't know um, about men talking shift. So, I mean, obviously we're talking about some of the things that you bring to the table, but I I want to know, I guess, like, where did that idea come from? You know, what, what, What does it look like out in the world? How can people kind of get involved with it? Like just take us through Men Talking Shift.
1: Sure. So I tell people Men Talking Shift was an idea before I even really knew what it was. My Mm -hmm. first sort of introduction to the world of of psychology and human behavior was in undergrad. My senior year of undergrad, I took a group counseling class. Like it wasn't a requirement, but I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And it completely changed me at my core in terms of my vulnerability and transparency mm-hmm. with other people. And what it allowed, I was I've always been able to connect with other men um, straight or gay um, in, a, in a really organic, beautiful way. But that class, that that moment in group counseling, kind of gave me a little bit more structure about how to try to ask the right questions mm. to kind of try to crack people open a little bit in a way that they hadn't been before. And so I wanted a platform as, as I continue to grow and have conversations, sometimes even strangers in an airport. I was like, this is a calling. Like I'm, I'm supposed to sort of moderate and sit in these conversations in some shape or form and so fast forward got to LA like seven years ago and started meeting people like Brandon Alexander and Mm -hmm. others so we're doing similar work and I was like I've got this idea I want this comfort level of men talking shit about whatever Mm -hmm. but I want those conversations to be transformative and so Mm -hmm. that's why the the the, sh- the shift sounds like shit. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's more it's more intentional in that way. So yeah, the goal is really for for men and women even um, mm-hmm. to have very sort of like taboo conversations, things that you might not normally say, like you know the thread about sitting down to pee. Mm-hmm. How can we just have that be an ongoing dialogue mm-hmm. that is that never turned off? But also, I wanted to challenge men too. I wanted to you know, there's sort of this the stigma that men don't do a lot of the healing work. They don't mm-hmm. do a lot of the self discovered work, and I find out that that's not necessarily always true. They may not be talking about it. Yeah, I'm finding that men are doing the you know the self-help. They're going to therapy more now. Um, they're trying to be more bold with their family about who they are and where they are. And so, really, men talking shift is just a platform to give way to more of those conversations and the vision is also to take this to the mainstream like Mm -hmm. I would love to see Men Talk and Share become whether it be a Netflix series or Mm -hmm. some type of digital series that really is ongoing you can bring it into your home it may come turn into a card table game but I want it to be that no matter where you are in the world you can be having this level of intimacy and vulnerability in
0: your conversations. Mm. I love hearing you talk about it because it does feel like this is a little bit of what I am supposed to do energy. Like I feel Mm -hmm. very clear that like, as I'm in this zone, um, this is something I'm supposed to usher, you know, um, support. And I love that it's not just about, um, supporting men and being ushered into this like revolution. It's also about, you know, I learned so much listening to these conversations and understanding men a little better in ways that they might not talk to the women in their lives about, you
1: know? And I I tell people all the time, if you look at our analytics, we have way more female followers than men, but I love that because Mm. that that information is going to make its way to wherever it needs to go. Yeah. Whether it's sharing it on your story or, you know, I saw something interesting today, you know, that you just spark up a conversation and you as women, you know, with partners and spouses, you're getting to have conversations that maybe you've never had before and mm-hmm. getting, gaining some new insight. So it, it works no matter who the audience is. It's,
0: it's
2: funny it's that, all... the,
3: that the that the men, you know, talking like old school stereotypes, the men are the hunter-gatherers, but it seems like the women are the hunter-gatherers of information. And we bring it home and we're like, here, you should look at this. <laughs>
0: So what has, what was like this last year like with the work that you do, Corey? Yeah, I mean, especially all of us just, you know, quarantine
3: days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, of course I was really interested in seeing like how people were handling loneliness, Mm. being alone. And we did see, there was some research that came out about, you know, there being an uptick in porn. Mm. And I did do a post on that. Um, Again, just wanting men to know that, like other men are doing this, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. But to also just sort of sit with why am I doing this? Like, why might I be spending more time with porn? And then to know how that could potentially affect you and your intimate relationships long term. Mm-hmm. So that's another big piece of the work that I try to do. And I've really focused in on this past year is, you know, again, looking at the mental health piece of how everything that we're doing, whether it's the job that we're on, um, the people that we're dating, like, how is that really affecting my mental health? Are there mm-hmm. changes that I need to make? Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to point people in the right direction. So yeah, I would say the, the past year has been trying to really unpack, you know, when we're dealing with social injustice and, you know, we're dealing with covid Um, you know, what, what are the the bigger sort of ramifications of our mental health as it relates to these things? Mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, And that's like a whole other kind of interesting crossroads, if you will, this conversation that we're having on the masculine and feminine, and then kind of overlaying that with the, you know, the social activism and the, and the, the rise of, um, I don't know if it's understanding quite yet, or if it's just acknowledgement of right? Mm-hmm. What many people have known for, since the start of this country, but what people are finally just now starting to acknowledge, but there is, it does also feel like, I mean, they're not far apart, right? Like it does feel like there's some cross there in between with what you're doing, I guess, in this world of like educating and, and bringing this, these conversations and this masculine feminine dynamic conversation we were just having, even with that world. Does that feel, does that feel accurate to you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It does feel accurate.
3: Yeah. 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 Like this, this patriarchal energy that we've been talking about. Right. And just like this dismantling that's happening. And it just feels like this is all interconnected to me.
1: Uh, One million percent.
0: I mean, it's all wounded, masculine energy. It's cold, withdrawn, um, reactive, narcissistic, right? Like this is what we're doing to our earth. This is what we've been doing to other human beings. We cannot be oppressing other human beings in the way that we we have been for for hundreds of years unless we were disconnected from ourselves from our Mm -hmm. center right so this work of i think healing wounded masculine energy is is so much bigger than us on an individual level i think it's like collective healing
3: Okay, I want to nerd out a little bit about
0: the production stuff because my <laughs> background is in
3: production. So that's actually where I came from. I was in advertising and marketing. Very, for-
1: you have very much a producer aesthetic. Oh, I there's the headphones?
3: <laughs> yes. I get
1: it. I get yeah,
3: it. I'm a producer. It's just it's the masculine energy, like Tanay said. <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, was that does that come before? Did that come after? Like, how does that weave into the work that you're doing?
1: So so the short answer to that is I really thought in the undergrad that I was going to be the next sort of, you know, Al Roker, Don Lemon like mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. And the more newsrooms and things I was in, I was like, you know, what? I don't necessarily want to sit behind a desk and tell those types of stories every yeah. day. I think mm-hmm. there's obviously people who are very talented at that and I think that's needed. It keeps us informed. But I was like, I actually want to be behind the scenes, like deciding what stories get to be told and how we tell those stories. So that was when sort of I got bit by the producer bug, I would say. But I also knew I wanted to tell longer form stories and more Mm -hmm. lifestyle oriented. So while I was in New York at the time, I was like, I think LA is where I need to be. That's where television film really goes down.
2: Mm. And
1: so... What I've discovered now, as I've sort of not only been producing but writing, is that really what I was always trying to do was see myself on television, see myself perhaps represented in a way that I never had, and to really feel like my voice was being heard. Mm -hmm. That's what I was always after. And so I think that I'm getting a chance to do that both in producing and writing. So my, my web series, um, Linear Lens, is all about sort of like highlighting creatives who they've got a really dope project. Maybe they've got a short film or book or something that they're doing that's really dope, but that other people just don't know about. So it's mm-hmm. giving them that platform to kind of showcase that, talk about their creative process. Because that's the other thing. I think that we're we're all storytellers, mm-hmm. but we sometimes sort of, Get lost in how that should look and and where to get started and you know all of the intric- intricacies of that. So I like just opening the doors to creativity to other people um, through these media media vehicles and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but what I'm most passionate about right now, I am about I would say three fourths complete with my first television series pilot. Um, And I'm really excited about that because it focuses on um, the lives of four Black men, their best friends, they've been friends, best friends since college. And the story is really about them sort of, it's emotional intimacy between Black men, which we don't Mm -hmm. see hardly Mm -hmm. ever, but also like, there is sort of this identity crisis, I believe, that men go through in their thirties. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking for for uh, through experience here as I turn forty next year, uh, but I do believe that, you know, we we will say a man's a fuckboy, but why is he a fuckboy? Mm-hmm. Like that didn't just oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a fuckboy yeah. today. Like there there's been. Some, some childhood wounds there. There've been some things that have been activated that makes him now show up that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we, there's many of us who were very successful, but we're still single. So what's, what's that about? Could that be, uh, we were so devoted to our relationship with our mom and there's some enmeshment there. And so like just trying to change the perception particularly of black men but as they're interacting with everybody like as they're interacting with white colleagues at work mm-hmm. you know as they're interacting with you know the church community um, you know as perhaps they're still trying to figure out where they are in their sexual identity we need we've, we've never really seen the behind the scenes of that and so i'm hoping that through my writing through my storytelling what we're doing with um, men talking shift so that men know actually i'm that I'm dealing with that, or I went through that and I, I didn't know that that's what I was dealing with.
2: Mm-hmm. That's,
1: that's what I want to do with my storytelling.
0: Oh yes, like yeah. I want to watch this. <laughs> I'm like yeah. so ready for it. I'm like, when will this be done, Corey? Um, so soon. I, go ahead, soon, yeah. <laughs> soon. soon. <laughs> um, I feel like so much of what Vanessa and I love to talk to people about is like your, your experience, your journey around mental health. Um, What do you do to like care for your mental health? What are your practices and and things like that?
1: Absolutely. So I am a big hiker Mm. and I love every time I hike to listen to a different podcast every time Mm. I hike so I tell people, I admittedly, I, I did a lot of reading in graduate school, so I don't read as much as I would like to. <laughs> we,
3: feel, we feel that. <laughs> I'm still kind of on a,
0: out.
1: a break. I'll start a book and not quite finish it. But the podcasts are really great because I can still be active, mm-hmm. but still get lots of great information. Um, so that's that's huge for my, my mental health because I tend to lean towards podcasts like this one that I'm like... It feels good, like, mm-hmm. and I feel like I, I'm I'm being seen and I'm being mm-hmm. heard through hearing other people's experiences. Um, so yeah, hiking is a big one. That's in the podcast. I've gotten into affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only when there's like a new moon or something, but just in general, I try to each day, whether it be with the Calm app or I have a couple of Spotify playlists to do that because everything's very mental for me. I can get mm-hmm. lost in my thoughts a lot. Um, but if I, if I have good food coming to my brain, mm. that's when I, that's when I'm at my best,
2: Yeah, you know, keeps you so grounded.
1: That, absolutely. keeps me calm, keeps me just more emotionally stable. Um, so yeah, th- those are just a few of mine.
3: I, I like- love hearing <laughs> this like New York to LA journey. That's so much of us share when you're like the affirmations around the new moon, <laughs> Is, and I'm and it. It. I'm at it too. That's why I'm saying it, right? Because yeah. there's just so many of us that have had this similar journey, like the east to west coast thing. And you know, I mean I, I was raised down south too when I was a kid until I was like six, but the New York to LA thing and, and you know, people that have stayed in New York. The number of those people that I've been like, you know, come, come over here. Like, let's go to this sound bath. Like you have to experience this.
1: Exactly, exactly. I've covered lately. I've been from Walk Good LA, great mm. organization. They do Sunday yoga free. Um, Every Sunday they have like a 10 a.m. and a 2 p.m. But that's been great because before the pandemic, I did yoga pretty regularly. Yeah. And there's something about corporate yoga outside great music, you know, the people are all there yeah. and just wanting to be around each other and, and love on one another. It's
0: a good mm. experience. yeah. Again, I think it always comes down to presence for me because yeah. as I watch you on social media, Corey, I experience you as like, a very spiritual soul like i'm like oh there's a lot of like spirituality in what he's putting out in the world and i think you know clearly very intelligent logical and yet like what feels like the soul of what you're putting out feels very absolutely. spiritual to me absolutely mm-hmm. Love That's that it. connection that masculine and feminine he's present um <laughs> integrated mm-hmm. well so vanessa and i have some questions that we love to ask Rapid fire our guests if we can let's do it all right. So, Corey, tell us about who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, um, people that have influenced your journey, whether you've known them or just, you know, followed their work.
1: Sure. So, hands down, three women both my grandmothers mm. and mom. Um, um, one of my grandmothers has passed away, but just so much sage advice. Um, her mother died when she was like four. Mm she was raised by her dad, but because she was the oldest sibling, she pretty much raised all the younger siblings. And so just the, I, me and my mom keep saying, we're going to do like a cookbook because not only does she teach us how to become pretty good cooks, mm. but just to, you know, embed some of her wisdom into mm. that as well. So for sure, both my, my grandmothers and my mom have been very, um, inspirational to me and continue to pour into me now um like i said going back to the podcast piece um i listen to a lot of renee brown
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, i'm a huge fan of hers um mm-hmm. uh, who else like i i'm very inspired by folks some of the the people that i post about so like will smith for example mm-hmm. i love some of the com- hard conversations that he and jada have had around mm-hmm. red table yeah. talk Yes. Um. I think Will is just one of those just guy next doors that whether you're the most masculine guy or not so masculine, you can just relate to him on some level. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are just some of the people that I feel like have poured into me over the years.
3: well rounded. I like it. Um, okay. So the next question is, what do you do or where do you find yourself in flow? What, what gets you to that state where just like 10 hours could pass in the blink of an eye?
1: Yeah, actually writing. Um, writing. Yeah, writing is that because although it took me a while to sort of sit with a lot of my truths,
3: mm-hmm. now
1: that I've started doing that, I can see not only how it's affecting me, but how it's affecting other people. Um, so writing is, no. yeah, when I'm in that flow of writing, time doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing else matters when I'm pouring into my writing.
3: Do you, is it writing in the form of like storytelling? Is it writing in the form of like journaling? All of the above?
1: It's become all of the above. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll just go on and on with journaling depending on where I am that day. And sometimes, you know, I may be working on one script and something within that sparks an idea for something else. So then I go into like writing down notes for future things.
3: And like a bit of a, a tangent a little bit, but for people who don't know, you know, narrative therapy is a whole branch of therapy. It's a whole arm. Of the therapeutic process right and you know you spoke to this a little bit earlier it's like human beings are, are storytelling creatures right it's before we had written language i mean it's how we kept track of mm. experience right and um it's how we understood one another it was through telling story and it's how we learned lessons right i mean think about all of our fairy tales again before they were written down they were passed down orally uh there's something very very healing in narrative, right? In in storytelling. And I think that's why, that's why I'm so fascinated by this area of media psychology, because it really does overlap so beautifully with this, this area of psychology.
1: I was, I was having a conversation, well, not a conversation. It was a question that came up, um, a Zoom I was on earlier today with a social psychologist who works a lot with youth um, when it comes to just sexuality and gender and things like that. And I was asking him, and I would love to know from you guys, too, as therapists, like, how do we better support youth who will use um, adolescent boys, for example, who might want to explore with their sexuality? They're mm-hmm. not at a place where they feel like, you know, I'm gay, but maybe they're, cur- they're curious um I feel like particularly with boys and men there's not a lot of space to say be bisexual there's not a lot of space to talk about a one-time encounter where you right. had the same sex experience it was like you know what that wasn't for me and then you move on
3: right um right.
1: like what what do you when we talk think about narratives um and normalizing certain narratives do you guys have any thoughts about that
0: well I mean you know it's interesting I I'm I'm certainly curious to hear what you would say, V, because I feel like everything I understand from you and you've spent a lot more time working with adolescents than I have, a lot of that is shifting in this mm-hmm. younger generation, right? Like they are just a lot more open to, you know, um, gender non-binary concepts and like exploring like what the truth of who I, you know, and that I can be so many things. Like I feel like they are gonna lead us a little bit in this this next evolution of who we're becoming. Um, I am so, again, I'm so grateful to you for a lot of the conversations you're having in terms of like, um, you know, like the African-American population and like right. people of color. Like, I feel right. like if most of the population is not open to this as like an exploration in the black community, it's like a little bit like, oh my God, you know, like yeah. what year is it people? Are we yeah. Like, And so I don't know, but what do you think, V?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that, this idea of narrative therapy, what's, I guess what, what it brings up in me is, you know, this constant conversation we're having around uh, representation, right? Like seeing it and hearing it and, oh, you did that too. You experienced that too. So like you know, if we're talking about adolescent boys. So, you know, I got curious and I was looking at like, you know, man-on-man porn, does that mean I'm gay? I'm all, I have all the shame around it. But like, if I hear somebody else that I look up to or even just peers talking about the fact that, oh yeah, I've done that too. Then all of a sudden that shame dissolves, Mm. right? Um, And it's in that representation, it's in that storytelling, it's in that hearing yourself in another person's story that you find that connection, you find that um, that dissolving of the shame again, right? It's, you're not alone. The second you feel like you're not alone, it's almost as if that shame can't survive anymore.
1: And I think right? it's our responsibility as, as storytellers, as creatives to really pour out our our own truths of our right. experiences, right. right? I think that our, the generations before us, even now, there are things that I know our parents experienced or did that we will probably never know about. Totally. But to your to your point, Logan, like I think now we're going to start to see a shift in that.
0: You know, I think the work that you do is so critical because it puts words to something that like I've understood for a long time. This is how we change our perception of things. I remember when I saw the movie American History X, it completely shifted the way like and I don't remember how old I was when that movie came out, but it shifted the way I thought about racist people yeah. forever. Like, it was like, this is so, like, what is conditioned from so young yeah. in terms of your belief system actually not- has nothing to do with the core of who you are. And we need to find compassion and not always a popular opinion, but that movie changed me in terms of how I feel, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: And I'll say in that same vein, just for listeners who um, want more Conversational think pieces like the American History X. There's a short film called Skin mm. as AI. I heard of this. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I caught it on a flight a couple of years ago, but I believe it's on Amazon Prime now. But that's another great one where you get to again see the conditioning piece of it from yeah. both a black dad and a black son and a white dad and a white mm-hmm. son. I'm just juxtaposition their two stories together in that short. Yeah,
3: we watched American History X in, in college, actually. I was a media communications major, and we, we, yeah. that's, they showed it to us in school. And I remember being horribly traumatized by that movie. But yeah, it totally changed, similar to you, it changed a lot of my lens, even as a white person, right, of being like,
0: oh, this is just ingrained, like, this is just what we live, it's the air that we breathe. Absolutely. You get to see like his love for his father, and this is like his father is not a bad person, and yet this mm-hmm. is what he is teaching him are the truths of life, right? Mm-hmm. So how would he have known any different? Mm. Uh, yeah, Go on and on. <laughs> we just keep going. Um, so where where are we? <laughs> Rapid fire. I lost myself. Uh, what breaks your heart, Corey?
1: What breaks my heart most is not feeling understood.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and also like watching or observing other people not being understood Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah for sure and there's so many layers to that it could be not being understood like saying something but then just the way it was perceived or taken in just got lost um it could be just you showing up unapologetically and who you are and people still being like i don't fuck with that like you Mm -hmm. know it's just not being understood really breaks my heart.
3: Okay, the last one. It's a very important question. Okay. What's your favorite food? Uh,
1: ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I would have to say, I'm just going to go with chocolate cake.
2: Oh right.
0: And do. we can hang out, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so have the no, but
3: you guys cannot share time. your chocolate cake. Today we'll fuck you up. Okay. Right. Let's just put that out there. You have to have your own chocolate cake.
0: True story. I was just I think the
1: reason for that though is like I love making food an experience. Mm. Yeah. And there's something about the presentation, the fact that it's a dessert, that you know it's going to be sweet, that it's going to comfort their soul. It's an experience. Chocolate cake is just an experience.
0: See, it's so soulful. I'm telling you. He makes chocolate cake so soulful. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, I just had a spiritual experience
3: about some chocolate cake, Corey. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real. You have a spiritual experience every time you eat chocolate cake.
0: Well, he just really brought it home, and there's no <laughs> cherry cake in front of me. I'm not kidding. Me.
3: I've almost been stabbed by a fork by this one before. Like,
0: I do you not, not share my right, desserts.
2: Okay. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, Good one.
0: <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, Corey, it is just such an incredible pleasure to meet you. Um, Listeners, if you do not follow Corey, um, you absolutely should. I take so much away from your content and I'm just really, really grateful for what you're putting out into the world. It's such a service to all of us. Thank you.
1: Thank you guys so much for this opportunity. We have to do it again.
0: No, we would love that. And we can actually do it
3: in person soon. The world's opening. Right? (laughs) Maybe we'll have some chocolate cake three <laughs> different pieces. pieces that's it <laughs> but tell us your handle like give us where people can actually find you
1: yeah it's really easy so it's at Corey Emanuel across all social um that's c-o-r-e-y-e-m-a-n-u-d-l uh, my website is coryemmanuel.com and on tiktok i am the official Corey Emanuel. so you can find me all across the board
0: Awesome. Oh, we cannot wait for this project to come out. I can't wait Back to watch it. It's going to be amazing. So yeah, we're going to do it
1: uh, like an after show, like maybe after after pilot, you know, talk and we'll
3: talk about yeah. it.
0: We'll do a yeah. live. Yeah. Let's do it for real.
3: Yeah. Like how Bravo does it where they actually sit around on a couch and they film it. I'm all about it. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. <laughs> and we can do it in person maybe.
3: Oh. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right, Thanks, Corey. Corey. Thank you again. It's happening. I'm so excited. Uh, we're bringing it back after high demand. We're doing our second retreat from self-abandonment to inner belonging.
0: Yeah, I feel like this first retreat experience for both of us, I'm going to speak for both of us, was Please. just such a potent, powerful, moving time. Um, There were just like so many beautiful breakthroughs, so many... um you know ways that all of the people that came to the retreat spoke to us about like things that they understood that they had never really had a way to articulate for themselves or tools that they took away from the retreat that they didn't know how much they needed in their lives right yeah and i think if you
3: missed the last one right and you weren't able to come and you're interested june 25th to june 27th we're hosting it again and this is really for anybody who has any kind of trouble showing up as their authentic self, right? Do you struggle with setting boundaries? Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Do you struggle with potentially numbing or hiding from your true self? Do you struggle with I don't know what you and I like to call some spiritual bypassing. Are you like, it could be worse or positive vibes only. Let's not think about the negative, right? Which we see so often in our culture today. Um, Are you interested in doing some shadow work, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a big thing right now. And I I think obviously Danae and I being depth psychologists, this is a really important topic for us. So we're really excited to bring this to you all again. Please join us June 25th, June 27th. And you guys can sign up at vanessabennett.com backslash retreats.
0: Can't wait to see you there